Welcome to To Your Bible, a custom design to your Bible reading plan with a weekly podcast by myself, Chris Case, pastor of Resonate Church, and Sarah Pasquale is here, the executive director at Resonate. Hey there. So we are in week 12, and we are starting to really get into instructions around the tabernacle. Um, we're going to get into uh, Jesus's um, awesome time with the leadership of uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, so um, two uh, wonderfully uplifting stories. Uh, and so... Um, but uh, we start uh, here at the beginning with talking about um, this this covenant that gets confirmed. There's sort of a signing of the covenant between uh, the Israelites and Yahweh himself. Uh, this sort of um, uh, the commandments, the initial commandments are given. Um, there's sort of initial layout of the code. And basically they say, we'll do it. We agree mm-hmm. with this. We will do. Uh, and then the signing. Of- Which is like big time foreshadowing. Every time Israel's like, yeah, we'll do everything oh, yeah, you totally. say no matter what. We're totally going to do that. Mm. <laughs> Just like us. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll totally do that. Uh, and then there's a sprinkling of the blood, which is uh, in a way signing the agreement, um, making the agreement true, formal, with all the consequences of that agreement. And so um, at that point, we start heading into this longer section around the tabernacle um, that includes a whole lot of instructions about building it, we're going to get an interjection where things go really haywire there for a second. Um, and then they sort of get back on track after that and they actually build it. And so um, that's going to play out for the whole mm-hmm. kind of the whole rest of the book of Exodus. Um, and so let's talk about the tabernacle. Yeah. But f- so first they're invited to make contributions for the sanctuary. Oh, yeah. I just want to mention like this is I am told you, you know, when you listen a couple of weeks ago, remember Israel is plundering the Egyptians here and this is what they're bringing. And so God provided all of this stuff for them and then invited them to give it back to him in return. This is a good reminder for us. God gives us everything we need to live and then we get the great joy to participate in the work he's doing through our giving it back to him. Absolutely. And so instead of probably walking story by story by story through this whole tabernacle thing, um, we're going to start with kind of a little bit of a big picture mm-hmm. and then we're going to kind of go maybe um, almost like geographically through the tabernacle, yeah. uh, spatially through the tabernacle. Uh, we'll include some images that'll help um, get a bearing of maybe some of the visuals that are tied into this. But um, I think what is important to probably highlight, or at least something I think is super interesting in how the tabernacle set up, how it's communicated um, is that I, I think there's a very much an intentional parallel to like creation again, like this is a true new creation. It's meant to represent this sort of creation moment because um, right. God speaks six times on the building of the tabernacle. And there's six times where the Lord said to Moses, um, he, he says that six times in a row. And then the seventh time there's finally a seventh statement and God speaks about keeping the Sabbath. And so, I mean, yeah, God speaks six times and then seventh time there's a Sabbath. It's, mm-hmm. it's definitely meant to have some parallels uh, between the two. And, and in so doing, we, we see all these sort of pictures where like the, 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 the tabernacle itself, this is like a little microcosm of the cosmos of creation itself. Um, like, the ark itself ends up kind of being identified as a, as a footstool, uh, but the earth is also a footstool in scripture. And so both those uh, start happening. But let's start with the core of the tabernacle. Yeah, sure. We're going to go there first. Well, I, I want to start just with like this big creation cool. picture. Like there's a lampstand. It looks like a tree. So we'll talk about where all these things are, but um, there's cherubim with flaming swords, which is like the garden as well. Um, there's all these symbols of like God's presence, like the garden, the temple, the tabernacle, Canaan, all these things are tied in there. And I think we're meant to 
see that. And so even as New Testament believers, there's all these connections between God's presence, which this, this, this tabernacle is meant to represent like God's presence with this people. And then like even John one, which describes Jesus as tabernacling with us. Um, so when he comes to dwell with us, he tabernacles mm-hmm. with us. John two, Jesus identifies himself with the temple, um, this presence that God's the fullness of presence dwells in Jesus. And so, um, there's so many connections. It's very ordered. Uh, it's built with spirit and wisdom. Uh, the, the workers have spirit and wisdom, which are two things that are present at creation. Uh, it, particularly when you bring in Proverbs eight, there's all these things, the blessing happens on the tail end of all the, 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 the tabernacle instructions. And so you have so many things that are meant to point us towards this, um, recreation creation story um to to kind of bring us back to to the garden in some ways it even faces mm-hmm. east so you would enter from the east where adam and eve was banished to go back west to where uh, the garden would be um not that they're truly trying to get back to the garden but they want god's presence again we want god's presence again and so um i think that's all at play in the giant picture of what the tabernacle is supposed to be right the last time we really saw god dwelling with man was in the garden and he would walk with man and he would come and visit, but God promises to come dwell again. Yep. And so let's work from East to West. Yeah. Okay. So (laughs) we start with the court of the tabernacle. It's this giant space. A lot of it is outdoors. It's like 150 feet long and 75 feet wide. Yeah. A big white tent, um, uh, almost like those white tents you have around construction sites. It's like this big fabric that kind of yeah, doesn't like a let fence, you totally kind of. see it in. Yeah, kind of a fence on the outside. Um, and then when it gets to the temple, there's a whole other use of the courtyard. But um, in the tabernacle, yeah, it's this larger white fence around the outside. Right, and this 30-foot gated entrance that's covered with a screen made from blue and purple and scarlet yarns. Yeah, there's so a lot of blue, lot of, purple, and scarlet. Right, so. which is kind of a symbol of royalty, right? Yeah, there's there's definitely, um, you are entering the throne. You are coming to the throne of some something, um, and certainly it's Yahweh, but um, the, the, the colors, the symbolism would be tied in there. Mm-hmm. It's a, the first thing yep. you see when you come into the temple is? A big old altar. Yeah, the bronze altar. (laughs) Of burnt offerings. This is where like most of the stuff would be killed and destroyed or uh, burnt. And um, it's big. It's it's got a big old grid that you can burn things on. Yeah, like seven and a half feet by seven and a half feet. Yep. It's got a lot of dents in it from the Sons of Korah, but we'll get there when we get there. Um, And um, But yeah, this big old um, basin where whole bulls would be sacrificed and goats and everything else. Right, so so people know... The first thing they do when they walk into this place is that it, that a sin offering or some sort of offering or sacrifice yep. must be made to enter into the presence of God. Yep. Yeah. It's it's definitely a building of how to enter into God's presence, and it starts with with death. It's like coming to God. There's got to be a death in your in your coming to God. Yeah. Uh, the next picture is uh, or the next thing is this big old bowl of water. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is like a, it's, as I said in the previous podcast, uh, the, the sea basin, the, the laver. There's all sorts of names, but um, it, it involved washing the ceremonial washing that would have to happen uh, for anyone to enter, or at least any of the priests to enter into the tent. Um, they had to wash themselves, so right. they had to pay for sin and they had to wash. Um, and the passage itself says, "So they could wash, so that they may not die." God had come to dwell with them, but he was still holy and set apart. And so you don't approach God casually or complacently or carelessly, but there are things that we need to do. There's a cleansing that needs to happen to go into the presence of God. Yep. And, and the ceremonial washing thing becomes uh, a pretty huge deal for, for all Israelites, uh, let alone the priests. But um, yeah. And so, yeah, you couldn't walk in without 
without going through that process. Right. So that's all that there is in those outer courts. Yeah. And Pretty then bare. you get into the tent or the tabernacle itself, mm-hmm. which is made of like four or so different layers. Yeah, there's a lot of layers to a it. Lot of it's going to be dark and hot and probably not the most comfortable. And given the amount of blood, probably not the most. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to be an interesting scent uh, as well. Um, and so, so it's 45 feet long and 15 feet wide, 15 feet high. Yep. Um, and so you'd have these heavy old curtains on the outside um, that are sort of the entranceway into the tent itself. Um, this was considered the holy place, not the holy of holies, but the holy place to sort of enter uh, where any priest could go, at least priests that are in their service at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, they could go into that. Uh, they would have various tasks that they would have to do. Um, and uh, if you walked in to your left, you'd have this sort of lampstand that mm-hmm. resembled a tree. Um, it eventually became what we kind of know as a menorah nowadays, but um, this tree, this lampstand that had these kind of almond dish branches and um, was the sole source of light. Right. <laughs> so it was pitch black in that room other than this one lamp burning. Yeah. Um, or seven. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah. You had, you had seven flames at least. Um, and, uh, on the other side of the room was a table, uh, with, so hold on. Yeah, so yeah. within that we had oil for the lamp. And one of the things is that it was kept burning, burning 24 seven. It yep. never went out. It was constantly burning, symbolizing the like illumination and the light of, of Christ. And then even looking forward to revelation, we'll see, in the new heavens and the new earth, there's not going to be a sun or a moon. We will have um, God himself will be our light. Yeah. And if we were supposed to think through um, even the, the cosmos, yeah, that God brought light into the world. And if this is mm-hmm. the tree of life, like the, that, that, that there, yeah, we don't have access necessarily until when it, when we see it again in revelation, but there's an eternality to the tree of life as well. Yeah. Okay. So that's on the left if you're standing in the front and then on the right side is, uh, the table of showbread or bread of presents. There's various names once again, as is common for a lot of these things, um, with its various poles of which to carry, which is an important feature too. Um, you, you, if you're reading through, you're like, gosh, it's like you got poles, you got these rings, like there's so many details. Um, but, but they all have a purpose and like the stuff that, that God has made, he's made it portable. Um, mm-hmm. in various ways, but he's also made it holy. And so he's made those things both realities. And so he's like, look, I've made this thing holy. I don't want you to touch it. So I've made provision for you to be able to move it. Right. Um, and so um, so you have this table that usually carried with it like 12 loaves of bread, uh, probably one to represent every tribe. Uh, and uh, But they were for the priests. It was sort of um, the priest's role is to represent the people before God. And in so doing, they're, they're representing the 12 tribes before God. Um, and so I, I think there's a tie-in there of, of the bread, of God's provision, mm-hmm. of the 12 pieces of bread for the people, and the priest's representation of the 12 tribes towards God themselves. Yeah, and it's kind of neat to think about. We won't jump all the way into here, but every Sunday we have bread sitting on a table in front of our auditorium as well. And it's a way to remember the presence of God among his people. Yeah. Because the, the priests would eat bread once, every, once a week. Um, mm-hmm. and it would be, um, almost like, a 
uh, a little bit of a communion meal for them uh, once a week. And so uh, there's definitely some overlap. And the bread had sat out for a week. So depending on your communion crackers, it might seem be very similar to that. Um, and so uh, not a resonate, though. We got some fresh bread every Sunday. Uh, and then uh, the next thing we encounter. Uh, so we really the in. last thing that's in this room yeah, in is the in the center mm-hmm. in the back against against yeah, the curtain it's, that it's, separates it's, the Holy of Holies. It's, it's towards it. It might be touching it. I, I think it's sitting right in front of it. Mm-hmm. Um, is the altar of incense. And so this is uh, an altar that had incense burning, uh, one particular kind of incense. God seems very interested in like, this is the one particular incense I want. Right. This is the one scent that we associate with worship. This is the new car smell, and I don't want any other smell (laughs) in this place. Um, (laughs) And given the amount of blood and things sacrificed in there, you probably wanted that incense burning at all times. Uh, And um, yeah, but it represented things like uh, the prayer, uh, Mm -hmm. prayer going up, as, as smoke goes up uh, to the heavens. And so um, this was a place where communication and praying, uh, asking, uh, intervening, intercession uh, would all be a part of the tabernacle practice. Yeah, and we, we know that Jesus is constantly interceding for us. So there's a picture of that intercession of Jesus. And then even, we won't jump here yet, but within Revelation, there's conversations and I- imagery alluding or illustrating this idea of incense being yeah. prayers. And a lot of, sensory things right Mm -hmm. it's like god 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 wants to meet with his people but wants to engage like the senses visually taste smell all those things Mm -hmm. um and then you have another curtain yeah this super thick curtain it's like (laughs) 10 or 15 inches thick yeah yeah by the temple it's like ridiculous but yeah it's super super thick which is meant to be there for a reason and the only people that are allowed to walk past um, into this curtain is the high priest. We're going to deal with that when we get to Leviticus, but um, there's a very, very, very tiny collection of people throughout history who had had the opportunity to walk into um, this last room, uh, which only had one thing in it. And it was about 15 feet by 15 feet square. Yep. And yeah, inside of it was the Ark of the Covenant. It's 15 feet and three inches. I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> Something super specific, but they had different I measurements. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. The Ark of the Covenant, um, which is a box, God's box. Um, which is an Indiana Jones go looking for the Ark uh, of the Covenant. Uh, and then, and they, and then they open it up and everybody's face melts off. So, uh, <laughs> so there's that, um, which is, I, which is interesting because yeah, uh, somebody had to open the box at some point and put some things in it. So, um, so this is cool. The Ark <laughs> of the Covenant. So it's basically like a chest and we know that inside of it are the 10 uh, commandments. And like a gold. It's gold everywhere. Yes. It's, gold it's covered in gold. gold inside. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it became like, the, the time capsule for, for the Israelites. Like, right. Yeah. The Omer of Manna was in there. Aaron's staff that budded was in there. But to me, the, the coolest part about it was that there was the lid was called the mercy seat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on it, there were these cherubims, these not chubby little babies, but uh, these winged creatures. Um, and uh, the same way that cherubims guard the garden, there's cherubims sort of even guarding the law in some ways. Right. Um, so and, there is one way to get to the law and those things. And it's through the mercy seat, mm-hmm. it's through mercy. Yeah. And which we'll talk about later in Leviticus, but when the high priest would sprinkle blood, he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. Yeah. And, and it carries with it. It's kind of this imagery of a throne too, that mm-hmm. Jesus was, uh, God would sit upon, uh, the mercy seat. Um, so it's like you are entering the, the King's court and this is where the King sits. And so, um, it, this is very much like the King of the universe has designed a way for, um, 
him to 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 representatively sit and be with his people in in his kingdom and so um yeah this is why like the conversation around should israel have a king gets that much more complicated i think because like this is the imagery of the king that they have like they don't need a king and so um they end up getting one and, and there's a reason but um uh, I think even their desire for King is like, no, like you had a King, like he sat on the throne in this tent all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, but there's so much, yeah, as I said, there's so much beautiful imagery. As I said too, some of this is a bit of a trudge to sometimes read through. You're like all these measurements that you just don't care that much about sometimes. Right. Like it's good to have a visual. It's good to understand probably the the major pieces, I, not even major pieces, the only pieces uh, that exist in the, in the tabernacle. Um, in, but to kind of work through this. Yeah. And so then we have the priests. Yeah. And they get their own special outfits, um, which uh, is great. Uh, and, and their outfits are unique and there's a lot, a lot of detail. Uh, they're colorful. They're vibrant. Uh, I'll include a picture as well for this one um, of what the priests look like. Um, I, I find it a super interesting juxtaposition to sort of go, okay, like Jesus is our priest too. And he's our true high priest. But like he goes to the cross like stripped bare Mm. and these priests are elaborate and stuff like that. And like even that juxtaposition of Jesus, our priest, our high priest versus the high priest back then. But um, yeah, there's all sorts of weird things and a little bit of that instruction, including the the Urim and Thummim and these little trinkets that seem to be divination and uh, there's all sorts of stuff with the priests but they are meant to stand apart they are visually meant meant to stand Mm -hmm. apart um as unique and as different and um beautiful and colorful and all those sort of things because they're representatives of god again yeah and there and there are a couple places where they have israel represented on them so they've got stones on their shoulders they've got like jewels on their um chess piece that talks about the different names of israel um and even their turban says holy to yahweh they're yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The the little band on the turban and stuff, and and it's it's cool that in chapter twenty two when it's talking about it, it says they are made for glory and for beauty, and how beauty is a part of worshiping God. We are to yeah. see the beauty of God in the way that we worship. Yeah, and present I, I, it. Uh, it's something I, I mentioned recently in a, in a sermon too, but the the God God looks at His creation. And he deems it, he sees it and calls it good. And he uses Tov and Tov can also be like, he sees that it's like pleasant to the eyes. Like God values beauty. Um, and we're going to see he values artisans in the process of mm-hmm. making beauty. Um, but yeah, and he consecrates the priests. There's a whole lot of blood going on all mm-hmm. over the place uh, in, in the temple, in the priesthood. Um, they're putting blood on their ears and fingers and toes and uh, there's all sorts of uh, kind of weird things that that honestly uh, some of it's just a little bit lost in time uh some of the practices that seem to be there of like we think it means this and sure there's some symbolism that that could play out um but um but yeah yeah and their ordination lasts a whole week it's pretty intense mm-hmm. so again so many of these things are meant to point to the fact that god is holy and we need to be prepared to enter into his presence. And he is worthy of being worshipped. And while he dwells with us, he is also other than yeah. us. And so, I, I'm, depending on where we want to go, do you want to jump ahead? Like we get the, the Bezael and uh, Holiab, yeah. the, the sort of artisans that are selected, that, that God is making beauty. He's using people's gifts. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're filled with wisdom and spirit, all the artisans in the process. Um and and they create uh, god actually gives a little bit of um 
uh, allowance for them to, to create the things with some beauty. And so um, I think that's awesome. Yeah. And then I know everybody's going to be surprised here, but we come back to the idea of Sabbath. the Sabbath. Above all else, keep the Sabbath. But here we're given some specific reasons why. It's for sanctification, which is to make holy or to set apart. Uh, we just read about how to sanctify all the things in the tabernacle and how it's critically sanctification and and cleansing is really, really important in the worship of God. And now that we were sanctified, part of that is through the practice of the Sabbath. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, um, given that the, this group of people just came out of slavery, mm-hmm. where the very nature of slavery is defined by your value is what you produce, what, what you can contribute to whatever. Like you, you are an invaluable slave if you can't work. And God has now brought these people out and, and he said, look, my day, I don't want your production. Like, I want you to be, I don't need right. you to do, I want you to be. Um, and um, what a what a shift in value uh, around his people. Now, there's a lot of things that like they, they should also still do on that day in terms of worship and thinking about God and stuff like that. But um, there there's definitely some um, reorientation around value for the people to go look the God my our God Yahweh wants us to rest and desires us commands us to rest and what that means for them yeah and incredibly countercultural yeah I was reading some stuff now this is writings from the first century and so it was way after this but the other cultures around Israel were so critical of them and made fun of them for practicing the Sabbath and said hey you lost wars because of the Sabbath or someone wrote like honor the Sabbath day and make it lazy. Uh, They considered people to be really selfish and lazy for practicing the Sabbath. So it was a very countercultural move. Yeah. Yeah. And still is. Okay. So all this great stuff happens. We have the 10 commandments. Moses is up there. We know how to set up the tabernacle and how to get the priests ready. But meanwhile, (laughs) meanwhile, down at the bottom of the mountain, uh, things are not going so great. Um, and um, it, it's hard because, you, 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 as I said, you're, you're kind of operating off of what do they know? What do they understand? Um, what are they used to? And, I mean, gosh, what they know is images related to their worship. And, um, and it seems like, I mean, because they have this festival uh, tied into this and they say for Yahweh. I mean, they use Yahweh's name. And so um, it, it's hard to know whether they're built, doing this calf and being like, look, we're going to worship Yahweh through this calf. And, and maybe the problem is the second commandment, maybe a little bit's the first, but uh, they do something that God had just told them not to do. Right. Um, he doesn't want to be worshiped like any other God of Egypt or Canaan or whatever. Um, don't, don't make me into an image. I don't want you to worship me that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they did. Yeah. And so this to me, I feel like is reading about the fall all over again. So we just read this new Genesis one and two, this new creation of God dwelling with his people. And then Adam and Eve falling, being tempted, they turn from the voice of, and the presence of God and they trust in another voice or a presence, presence like the golden calf. Um, God walked with them in the garden and he planted dwelling again. Yep. At the end of the seven days, Adam and Eve fell. God banished them. At the end of the seven days, or the seven instructions here, right. um, we find the golden calf. But here's the good thing. If you're sort of reading that and you're catching that, it's sort of like, okay, what's God going to do? And to give away the next couple chapters, which you would have read already this week, um, God doesn't banish them. Mm-mm. Like 
the beauty is God kind of picks back back up. It's like, okay, let's get back to building this right. tabernacle. And uh, just the beauty of the covenant of God's people versus what um, God's relationship was with Adam and Eve. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. And so there are some consequences, though, for their behavior. And there's like the first time we see something pretty drastic like this, Levi, the Levites coming together and. Yeah. Yeah. They grind out. down the, the, the thing. They make people drink it, which may be tied in numbers five. If, if we'll get there, maybe we'll look back on this text. Um, but yeah, the, the Levites, the, the priesthood, um, uh, they, they sort of become, I think this is where they truly actually become the priesthood. Um, enact uh, justice for um, for God himself to, to to deal with brokenness and sin. Right. And again, I mean, let's think about all the setup for the set apartness and the holiness of God. You have to be consecrated to enter into the presence of God, and they've just blatantly rejected that. They are rejecting God himself in doing that. And so it's as uncomfortable as it is to say, it, it's a just consequence. Yeah. Yeah, and God, and God kind of tells him, "All right, well, um, you need to leave Sinai." Um, mm-hmm. And there's there's some harsh language, and God seems kind of ready to start the whole thing over to be like, "Hey, Moses, it's gonna be you and me. I'm getting rid of the rest of them." Um, and uh, Moses does not want that to be their answer, um, and, and and a little bit of like, "Look, you can go to the promised land without me too," but uh, they don't want anything to do with that either. Um, and so there's a tent of meeting that's kind of set up by Moses and is this the tabernacles instead of meeting if you're reading that maybe you felt confused about that like I did um there's a lot of thoughts on that um but uh at some point it's somewhere that Moses and God can meet together in some way um mm-hmm. and he intercedes for his people um he's a pretty good smart uh, smart move I think where he's like well he's like let's talk about your name kind of God like you just led all these people out of Egypt what would the Egyptians think of the God who led them all out and just killed them all? Um, it's sort of like, God, who are, who are you? What is this? What, how does this reflect on you to do this to us? And um, I think it's pretty wise by Moses in some ways uh, to, to get into that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it's, you know, Moses here says to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Yeah. And think back to early on in Exodus, God says, I'm going to go with you, Moses. And Moses is like, but what else are you going to do? How else are you going to help me? What signs mm-hmm. will there be? Who will you send with me? So we, again, we've seen a maturing and a growth in Moses and that he says, you're all that matters. Your presence with me is all that matters. Yeah. And I, I wonder if the going to the land uh, without him, it's interesting because in a lot of ways they'd be like, well, that would give us most of the stuff we want. And, and I wonder how many times in ministry or beyond ministry, it's like, sometimes I'm okay with the victories without God mm. and maybe I shouldn't be Yeah, um, to go, God, I don't, if we have a bigger church or I have a better job or God, you, you give me the family I've always wanted. You give me the other thing, but I do it with it kind of without your presence. I wonder if I'd have the position of Moses to be like, I don't want any of that stuff, God, if you're not going to be there with me in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, all right, let's get to the new yeah. Testament. Luke 19. I love this story. This is a good old Easter story. Um, uh, there's, there's so much backdrop to the story. And if you were looking at your Zechariah, hopefully you caught some of it. Uh, but, but I'll even say this for the, for the modern part of the story, like this is Passover week. And if it's Passover week, this is like nationalism at its highest. Like, Hey, let's remember, uh, the story where our ancestors came out from under, uh, an oppressive, uh, 
overlord. And so it's like, um, there's a time to have a conversation about Rome. Uh, this would be the season. And so guess what? Rome shows up to town, uh, during this week to deal with that. Uh, they do every year to be like, Hey, uh, we need to come. Um, and so, uh, Caesarea Maritima would be where, um, pilot would have lived on the coast mm-hmm. um and so him and all of his entourage would come riding into jerusalem uh during this week likely at the beginning of the week right around this time from the west they would come in with pomp and circumstance riding on a war horse they would be a show of power because that's what you do when you oppress people and so um they would be coming in and at the same time from the east we get this ragtag collection of disciples with their uh with their king jesus messiah who's uh, got nowhere to lay his head and he comes riding in on a donkey mm-hmm. which uh most of the people who are well versed in the torah would be like wait a minute a donkey i know a king who rides in on a donkey right. and in this prophecy out of zechariah 9 of, of the king this messianic king who would come riding on a donkey not only that, but even kind of coming in from the east where the Mount of Olives is, like Zechariah 14 will pick up on that, that the, that uh, on that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem. And so there's all this imagery starting to take place. And and um, it's interesting because in that, in that later Zechariah passage, um, it's saying, look, like on that day, that day that's happening, that when he comes, like the ones who will be spared are the ones who practice uh, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot. Now, the symbol, one of the things that they would do at the Feast of Tabernacles, like every year, was to wave palm branches and shout Hosanna uh, and, and, and to do that. And so, um, even though it's a whole other time frame of the year, I wonder if all these people are like, well, we need to grab our palm branches and we like, this is that moment. And we don't want to be the people that, that get left behind. We want to be yeah. saved. And so they start doing this whole festival, waving these palm branches. Not only that, but the palm was starting to be like a symbol of nationalism for the Israelites. Uh, the crowd uh, seems to imply revolution. We want a king. We want to drive out Rome. We want this victory. We want this uh, war to take place and for us to be the victors. Mm-hmm. And um, all that's tied into the story, which I, I would argue ties into the very next story where Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. Uh, because if you keep reading Zechariah 9, the whole donkey passage in Zechariah, um, it says, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken and we, he will proclaim peace to the nations. Um, and, and I wonder if, if Jesus is sitting here going, man, they don't get it. Like everyone's ready for me to be this war battle Messiah. And I've, I've come to bring peace mm-hmm. Like I've come to, to bring peace through my death. And, and that's why he says things like had, had they known on this day, the things that make for peace, like there will be days in the future where, where the, the temple will fall. There, there will be these things that will come in future days, but, but these people don't understand what I'm here to do, um, which is to, to, to make peace between people and God. Right. Which is interesting because then he moves into the temple and kind of does everything, but he, <laughs> yeah, makes peace. He, just, he just comes in and starts wreaking havoc. But like he's he's so I, I would argue just so frustrated with what's happening at the moment. He's very frustrated at the temple leadership, and we're going to see plenty of conversations with them. Um, but I mean, they've they, they've made it a, a problem because like you can't pay, you can't bring foreign money into the courts, and so you got to exchange your money. You have to use the the temple money. Uh, so there was money exchanging, and then uh, because of that, they would also sell all these different sacrifices. So the priesthood owned every piece of business related to the temple, and so yes, there's obviously going to be grounds for corruption right. and abuse, and there was, and so and and not only that, but they were in this outer court area, which. 
If you look at Isaiah 56, you'll see that the, that part, well, the outer court area was the place for Gentiles to come and worship. And so when he says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, he's talking about the fact that like this place that was supposed to be the prayer place for all nations, for Gentiles, had been taken over by these money changers and people trying to sell different sacrifices. There was no space for non Israelites to come and worship God. And that is the role that Israel was supposed to play. They were supposed to be a priesthood to all believers. Yeah, this is that's that's the Abrahamic covenant portrayed in the courts. It's yeah. like go be a blessing to all nations. Yeah. And and they're completely corrupting the space where they could be blessings to all nations. Right. And completely misrepresenting what it looks like to come and worship God. I mean, that's gotta be yep. infuriating. And so they come challenging Jesus, like, what authority do you have to do any of this kind of stuff? Like, you haven't gone through our formal training. You're not a priest. You haven't done these things. You haven't uh, had the proper schooling to be the proper kind of rabbi, all that kind of stuff. And then Jesus, I, I think, defers to John the Baptist here. And, and I think he does that because um, I think uh, I mentioned this. I think I mentioned this a little bit of the baptism of Jesus. Like, there's usually two confirmations of of in those kind of moments, and one was God speaking, and I think the other was 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 John. And John's called a rabbi in other places. And so, um, is this sort of like Jesus going, "Well, John's my authority, and what do you think of John?" Like, if you say he's from heaven, well, then you're stuck. And if you say that the people like really are the ones who are behind that, well, you're stuck too because. You, you can't handle crowds very well. And so what, what are they going to do? And he kind of just leaves them with that. Jesus is like, I love these, all these sections because Jesus just is masterful at how he deals with the people. Um, yeah. And it kind of makes me think of sometimes controversial questions that come up that people ask me or people ask in other environments. And I kind of want to challenge this individuals. How much do you want to validate your own opinion and how much do you really want to know? And the challenge there for us is if you really want to know, start by looking at your own Bible and researching the scripture and yep. then coming to us and, and wanting to dig into it deeper, but take some ownership on your own study before you just ask for someone else's opinion. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a parable of the wicked tenants. Um, yeah, I think because Jesus is starting to interact with all the leadership here, I, I think this is very much a condemnation on the leadership. The vineyard is Israel, and that's a common, and we're, we, hopefully you saw that even in uh, your reading in Psalms. Uh, the tenant are Israel's leaders. The prophets are the servants who came. Jesus is the son of God in the story. Um, and he's condemning those leaders for like, just they're rejecting and they're rejecting the cornerstone. There's a new temple almost being built and they're rejecting the building of this right. new temple, this new kingdom. Yeah. And then they come and they want to know about paying taxes yeah, to so this Caesar. Is, and this is like controversial as you can get in their culture. So um, you had all the different people groups who answered the question very, very differently. Um, and, and then I love Jesus. Masterful again. Hey, show me a coin. Now, remember, where are they? They're in the temple where you're not allowed to have foreign mm -hmm. currency. And so uh, at some point, somebody pulled it out of pocket and then probably realized, oh, wait, I'm, I'm, I'm trapped. I'm stuck. Um, and then he points out whose image is on this. And, and it's it's the so-called God at Caesar. It's self-proclaimed Caesar with his picture and, and, and inscription related to his divinity. And, and, and Jesus goes, well, give Caesar his coin. Like mm -hmm. it's got his image on it. So give it to him. And, and in so doing, he's even saying like, he's not God because you give God's God. Caesar's not God. You give God, God stuff. And, um, right. And, and we are the image bearers of God. Yeah, and so yeah. it's an implication there that we are to give all of ourselves to God. Yeah. Yeah. We, as, as if the, if the image of the coin is for Caesar, the image of God on us is for God. And that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's us. Yeah. Uh, and the Sadducees ask about resurrection, this whole crew, um, there was, there's already complicated 
pictures of, of Jewish theology with the resurrection, but the Sadducees were certainly like the most stark. Uh, they, they read the Torah and Psalms. They didn't read the rest of the Old Testament. Um, and, and guess what? The Torah has almost little, as it's super little about resurrection. Um, and so they have pretty much almost no theology around resurrection, um, at least a bodily resurrection. And so um, Jesus kind of deals with their questions, which are questions just trying to trap him. Um, that, that's their goal. And Jesus kind of goes like into a whole different talk on the timelessness of resurrection. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and then they, they basically <laughs> shut down from there. They're like, uh, Every time we ask him questions, it seems to get us in trouble. So we're just not going to ask him any more questions from here on out. They um, no longer dare yeah, to ask him any questions. They keep trying to trap him because he keeps offending them. I mean, <laughs> he's telling them he's taking the kingdom from these religious leaders. Of oh, yeah, he's just condemning yeah. the ship straight forward. And, they and keep other gospel, to trap him. I mean, he'll he'll pronounce woes at this point in the story and stuff like that. It's just, I mean, he he. He had strong words about the Pharisees, but when he shows up to this priesthood, he mm-hmm. is no hold bar, just straight up calling him out. Um, and there's a conversation around um, the, the son of David passage uh, uh, and, and everyone's sort of waiting for the Messiah, the son of David to come. Everybody's expecting the, the one in the line of David to come. And Jesus is like, like, look, I'm, have you not, like, are you not catching on that, that the son of David that's going to come is also different because even David calls the son of David lord and so like yes there's a messiah but it's also like a god king messiah mm-hmm. um and so uh, i think jesus is pointing out the, the gaps in their theology here yeah and then they're told to watch out for the scribes <laughs> watch out for the religious people who are seeking accolades they're seeking public praise and they're not caring for the poor and the marginalized yeah and, and even a mention of like widows i mean they're, yeah. they're robbing from widows which makes the next chapter that much more start that much more stark where Jesus is like, okay, let me tell you, let's, let's, let's talk about this widow and her offering. Um, and Jesus is pointing out someone who may have literally been robbed by the scribes. He just condemned, mm-hmm. um, who gives all that she can. Um, he's not highlighting the amount of sacrifice. He's highlighting her heart behind sacrifice. Um, right. So with both of those things, with the scribes, make sure that your public passion for God never exceeds your your passion and worship for God in private. Yeah. Uh, the state of our hearts matters, and, and that is revealed in what you do when no one can see what you're doing. Yep. And that's the same as this woman. She's giving because she trusts God, because she loves God, not because she's obligated or ought to. Yeah. And she's trusting God to provide for her within it. Yeah, and, and doesn't seem like she cares one lick about public perception, the, the, the sort of stuff that scribes and Pharisees constantly get uh, condemned by Jesus about. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus foretells about the destruction of the temple. Uh, there's a lot of language that feels super apocalyptic here. Um, but this is very clearly about the destruction of the temple. Uh, hey, you're going to hear rumors about false messiahs. There's other people going to be alone claiming to be a messiah, but this temple, this gigantic Herodian amazing temple with like some of the largest stones ever used right. in construction it's going to get destroyed and yeah. if you go there to this day you can see piles of stones that uh, still exist on the ground uh, since uh, 70 AD mm-hmm. and Jesus warns I think in the same section because we're going to see destruction of the temple this section and the next week the destruction of Jerusalem uh, all sandwiched together and um, I think he's foretelling look like there's wars that are going to come which actually leads to the destruction of the temple um, there's going to be persecution as followers of mine even people in your family may 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 call you out um, and lead to your own persecution but endure endure to the end you will find life at the end of the tunnel even in death you will find life at the end of the tunnel um, if you persevere and, and I think that's what what 
Jesus is really driving at. Right. And I think you mentioned when we were talking about it before that this is relevant and true for us, but the people who are hearing this at the time are going to watch it be fulfilled. Yeah. I mean, they're going to be like, oh man, remember when Jesus told us this was going to happen and now it's happening. Yeah. Um, but, but for us, it is true too. Like, look, following Jesus, I mean, in American culture, our persecution sometimes is just like cultural shame uh, around the world. It can look kind of more similar to what Jesus speaks about, um, where families will sell uh, a child out and, um, for following Jesus and things like that. So, um, but yeah, it's part of following Jesus. It's not promised that it'll be rosy and everything will work out. So let's Mm -hmm. talk through the two Psalms and then we can wrap up for the week. Yeah. So Psalm 81, it's a Psalm of Asaph and he's basically telling us a story of God's deliverance, whether Israel obeyed or not. Uh, it reminds us of Israel's disobedience, but talks about how God desires to give good gifts to his people. Yeah. Um, I wrote down a quote from one of the commentaries I looked at, the only lasting motivation for obedience is grace. Yeah, yeah. And, as and, many times as we promise that we're going to do the right thing, it's only grace. Yeah, there's a lot of grace and redemption in that psalm. And then Psalm 80, there's um, identification, straight up identification of Israel as the vineyard. So mm-hmm. as we read about the the vineyard story, like this is one of the areas where it's described as a vineyard and sadly about the destruction of the vineyard. This is sort of a, a, a grieving Psalm, a lamenting Psalm about the current state of Israel at that time. Yeah. And if you read verse one, which you did, um, it talks about how God is enthroned on the cherubim and, and now you know what that means. That's the mercy seat. He's yeah. enthroned upon the cherubim. Yeah, it's not a chubby little baby. Like some people make no, it. Oh, and now yeah. you know what they're referencing to you. All right. Next week, Old Testament. So um, there's a lot of repetition. You're going to read a lot of the same stuff next week that you read this past week. <laughs> this is kind of because of a chiasm. So see if you can figure out what that chiasm looks like and why it's there. Yeah, it's a big, long one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, we're walking backwards through the instructions of like now we're building it uh, from here are all the things to build. Let's start building and, and working backwards. And then the New Testament. Um now, just watch out and maybe see how Luke might be using like all the quick changes in the story. Like it feels like whiplash. It's like, let's have this amazing communion meal. Now let's have a whole discussion on who mm-hmm. is the greatest. And so there's, there's a lot of these like quick turns and I think they're meant to be juxtaposed and, and make sure as you're reading to think through how that can play out in terms of interpreting those stories. Yeah. So thanks y'all. Thank you guys. Thank you guys.